0: Hey guys, Vince here again. If you haven't already, go grab yourself some tickets to Period. Four seasons, one cycle, the brand new cabaret show from Carla's Confessional Cabaret. It's playing for one more week only at the Mill during the Adelaide Fringe. Jump online, check her out on Instagram, Carla's Confessional Cabaret, for all your ticket information. She can't wait to see you there. Go support your beautiful bloody bleeders. Welcome to the Alchemy of Success Podcast. I'm Vince Fusco. In the last 15 years, I've done everything from stagehand to award-winning director, husband and father of two, creative marketing expert, and professional growth and success coach. I specialize in helping people find their purpose, reach their goals, and realize their dreams while building their confidence and self-love to live a life at their full potential. This podcast is dedicated to the exploration of the human experience, the drivers of, and the physical, mental, and spiritual metrics we measure success by. From personal life stories to inspiring tales from special guests, we'll be sharing our journeys of success and what it is to us. My hope is that this show will serve as a source of personal inspiration to spark your curiosity and ignite your mind, body, and spirit to your own brilliance. So you too can thrive in finding your own alchemy of success. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Alchemy of Success. I'm Vince Fusco. I'm glad you're here. Day 61 of the new year of 2022. I don't think we can call it a new year anymore, can we? We're nearly 25% of the way through it, so perhaps the term new is getting a little old. But we're 61 days in and I hope that you are closer to where you want to be. I hope you are feeling good. I hope you're safe. I hope you know you are loved wherever you are in the world. Today's conversation, oh my gosh. Today's episode featuring Isabel Marshall and Eloise Hull of Taboo Period Products. This conversation. Not only are these two individuals extraordinary in their own right, we talk about their entire journey individually, but also collectively. Classmates turned business partners and are doing wonderful things as a duo, taking on period poverty and making sanitary or period products. I don't even want to say sanitary, just period products. Let's say it making period products accessible for everybody. This conversation covers a lot. It covers business, it covers gender inequality, it covers shame and stigma and mental health and periods and menstruation. It covers so many things. It's, um, it's, full, of, it's full of wisdom beyond their years. It's just a wonderful conversation that I, I actually implore everybody to grab yourself a cup of tea, enjoy the space around you with this conversation with Isabel Marshall and Eloise Hull. Hey, Vinny. Good morning. Hello. How are
1: you? Hey, it's morning.
0: Good morning. Look at these (laughs) bright smiles, first thing on a Wednesday. How good is that?
1: (laughs) Literally, just before this, I was like, I'm so tired. I've got a little coffee here. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, I've had a good job at deceiving you.
0: Fantastic. (laughs) it's, It's actually like such a fun time to record a podcast. For this very reason, mm. I love having chats with people over your morning coffee. It's just lovely to get to spend a bit of time with you both and catch up and have a chat. And there's so many things that I can't wait to sort of like share with I you. Yeah, like I've really just been so inspired watching you both, and I think that's very cool juxtaposition from the roles that we've had in in just you know one another's lives over the last ten years. As far as like, I feel very privileged to have been a mentor in some role in your life you know in in an arts sector at school but to see what you've both done I've said it to you both already probably in email somewhere but like it's been wild and I just want to reflect that back I'm sure you get this all the time but it's just epic.
1: we don't have as such personal uh, interviews especially for podcasts and podcasts is the perfect platform for it because we can really go into the into the depths and the nitty gritty. But I think your perspective as well will, will bring a really cool layer into the whole story.
0: So if you're comfy and you've got your coffees, let's go for it. G'day, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Alchemy of Success with Vince Fusco. I'm Vince Fusco, and I'm glad you're here. Today, I'm sitting opposite not one, but two incredibly bright faces. Two guests today, double the fun. Eloise Hall and Isabel Marshall are the co-founders and managing directors of Taboo Period Products. Eloise is one of the two co-founders of Taboo. She's the managing director. She's currently completing a double degree of business and international relations at Flinders University and has more than five years experience in hospitality. Eloise is committed to making long-lasting structural change to bridge the inequality that exists in our communities. Eloise was recognised as the youngest of InDaily's 40 Under 40 recipients in 2020. The Advertiser's Woman of the Year Rising Star Award 2021 and 2019 Women in Innovation finalist. Her co-founder, Isabel Marshall, and the the Director of Health and Education at Taboo, is studying medicine at Adelaide University and is passionate about the role that reproductive health and education plays, ending period poverty and stigma. In 2021, she was awarded Young Australian of the Year, the Advertiser's Woman of the Year Rising Star Award, and was the 2019 Women in Innovation finalist also. Izzy is fueled by the belief that no one should be disadvantaged because of the incredible biological process that is menstruation. Isabel Marshall, Eloise Hull, girls, it's so wonderful, welcome. To, to the Alchemy of Success.
1: Thank you so much for having us. We're so honoured to be here.
0: It's been a minute since we have seen each other, since we've had an opportunity to sit down and have a chat. I'm thrilled that we could carve out some time today and get both of you together. Let's just maybe start there. How do we know each other, girls?
2: So, I guess, and I loved to stage at school, um, drama, music. We played the trombone. We both sang. <laughs> um, and yeah just weren't really we weren't shy mm-hmm. um and I guess yeah throughout our high school we we were very blessed and honored to have some so many wonderful professionals in the arts um advise us lead us direct us tell us off for being late all the time Yeah, that was a <laughs> um, common theme <laughs> you know nag us to rehearse all of the good stuff um and yeah Vinny you were were wonderful. Those wonderful people that came into our lives. Probably, Cats musical in your ten was the first time we met. And what was my role? I was Skimbleshanks, the railway cat.
1: Oh yes, and I was meter. So we were all dressed up as cats at this point. And Vinny was um, <laughs> you were the like the hot sexy cat that everyone else loved. Yeah.
0: I don't know if you can you say were... sexy cat. I don't know. I don't know if I would say <laughs> sexy cat so much <laughs> Unfortunately, I was rum tum tugger as well as yeah. um, as well as assisting with some of the direction on the show. Well, yeah, so it, when you say it like that, all dressed as cats, and the reason I laugh so hard is because I actually put the costume on—not a word of a lie. I just put it on for Halloween this year. We were all just dressing up as big cats, so I told my son it was a lion, and um, and yeah.
2: And then of course, in Adam's family near twelve, we were married on stage, Benny. You, you and I. Morticia and Gomez
0: Adams. And, <laughs> and our was your wonderful daughter. daughter, our wonderful daughter over here, Wednesday Adams, um, yeah. played by Izzy. It's a, uh, it seriously feels like a lifetime ago, but this was, yeah. how long ago was that now? That'd be like five years at least, five years ago. At least.
2: At
1: least. At least. Oh, yeah, it, we just had our, yeah, we just had our five-year reunion, which is wild.
0: Wow, that is wild. And, yeah. and what does that feel? feel like now I guess when you look back on some of those times in high school. And so that's how you do you guys met in school.
1: Yes. Yeah. So I came to Walford in year seven and met Eloise then. And we became quick firm friends. Um our personalities just matched up pretty well from the beginning, we could tell. And um we also had all very similar interests as as we said, trombone singing. Trombone's a funny one. Whenever I tell anyone that I have a I'm going there (laughs) always, like really surprised and laugh and then I go the trombone is awesome yeah.
2: <laughs> it's valid to laugh but totally underrated yeah <laughs> anyway,
0: and it's funny because as you said it I was thinking it I'll be honest I was like trombone is such a niche random yeah. instrument for you both to be drawn to if you're like but it is a dope <laughs> instrument like it is absolutely aces
1: we were only drawn to it because it was in low demand but high supply so, so um we wanted to go to generations jazz and we had a clear yeah. strategy we would go for the instrument that um that not very many girls in our in our private school girls school wanted to play amazing,
0: amazing. <laughs> and then so strategic trombone uh, enthusiasts. Well, so like, like I said, like looking back on having known each other as well for such a long time, and now from where you stand in your careers and your life and this this journey you're on, when you look back at those years, what does that feel like?
1: Yeah, I think going back to that five year reunion, uh, we were so lucky because our whole year level got along really, really well. That there were clear people who um, were closer friends, but there were no like set out groups that either liked or didn't like each other so the five year reunion was a really, really nice event where we all kind of just felt really lucky that we had such a positive experience with great people around us at school. And I think it like really goes to show how important those years are. And Vinny, we were talking about um beforehand, these formative years and how little moments, whether it be what you're learning about um on stage or in your performance, um, I guess part of your life at that point. Um it makes a big difference particularly in those years of like well for me probably 12 to 8 12 to 17 like you when you're really finding yourself and you're really understanding what makes you you and what makes you different to the people around you but also what you relate to how you relate to the people around you as well And I think the five-year reunion was a really positive experience where we were very grateful for me that on behalf of the (laughs) sport.
0: What about you? Like, what does that feel like for you? When you, when you look back at the girl back then, what was her idea or ambitions? Did you see yourself sitting here in five years? Had you have asked yourself back then?
2: Yeah, I think I've always been one to, to just be guided by whatever's going on around me and, I don't know if that's a, a mindless thing or not but I think it was really quite valuable as a young person to just be like oh I'm interested in this okay sure I'll sign up for this or do that and I was quite an involved student in I guess like you know sports and music and really whatever I found enjoyable um and then I guess I took that attitude into being an adult and I think I've grown up a lot since since school, but there's certainly no doubt that what I learned in school was really, really valuable, even in just, like, um knowing my boundaries, knowing I guess I, I think it was a pretty good precursor to understand like how capable I was at the adult world. And I had this sense of like I can do, you know, whatever life throws at me, but never really had a, a huge sense of direction. And that was totally like, you know, thanks to the fact that all of my my needs were looked after. I had a home and I had food and um I, I had the position to just after school, look out into the big wide world and think, okay, where can I be useful? Um, because I, I guess I left school feeling equipped, not so much, you know, um, set to do this one specific task, but very ready to uh, for the world to use me almost in, in the, in the places and spaces that a change was expected. Cause I'm very much, I can have a pretty disruptive personality. I do want to shake you know, the the gates and make sure that, you know, things can change for the better because why not It'd be a waste of life if you didn't question the things that um, have a really negative impact on other people's lives, even if it benefits yours.
0: Absolutely. And you you articulate it beautifully. I can't wait to go listen to that back and I can't wait for people to hear that articulation of not necessarily like it's fantastic, firstly, to hear like that education that was provided to you and, and afforded to you at Walford. And that one of the things that, like, you said, Izzy, about there wasn't, like, set groups or necessarily, like, that competitive uh, nature, I suppose, which can often be found in any school environment. But, like, I always found it whenever I was working with your school, it was always like that. And I was always surprised. I felt always shocked when I'd, like, I'd comment to, like, the other teachers there and I'd say, I'm always amazed that the camaraderie that the girls share the the there's no infighting there was never like any animosity that would ever arise and if there was ever like a something like a disagreement or something there would always be two or three other girls that were able to come in like as these very good friends and just be able to like all right girls let's just diffuse it like what's going on here like there was never
2: (laughs) sure yeah. yeah yeah do you
0: know what i mean like and that that kind of buzzed me out a bit, like even just as like a, an observer, I was like, it's wonderful to see because that's not, I think, what some people can expect. Mm, but then yeah. to like hear the way that you've then said it as well, where you go, I'm equipped from a range of experiences during that time, those formative years, 12 to 17, as you said, is it mm. like for the world to use me in the ways where need and change is expected, mm. that mindset is firstly one of the best articulations of it i've heard because to me that offers and promotes infinite possibility mm-hmm. infinite mm-hmm. understanding and the ability to hold possibly two opposing thoughts in the same space but with an optimism of where where is it needed where do we need to change things on every level for yourself for the world for what you're going to do yeah. that's very very cool would you say that that mm-hmm. would be a, a major driver yeah I don't even want to get straight to taboo yet I don't even want to get there yet but like <clears> let's talk <throat> about maybe then growing up because even then the two of you yeah you have the same environment education wise. What was it like in both of your households? Like we'll start with you, maybe Eloise, to go back to the idea of if you have the idea that you can explore everything that you find interesting, not everybody mm-hmm. also like either understands that or some parents don't allow that sometimes it's like we want you to do this so I think for uh, for you to have that understanding and awareness and go I just wanted to go I like this I want to explore this I want to do this more or was that something in your house that was really promoted
2: yeah it's funny um my my parents are really hard workers um my dad has a small business so I've just watched them work really hard and and that was it wasn't a pressed expectation it was just more of a learned behavior of you work hard in whatever you do um and then I have two beautiful amazing older sisters and they're 14 15 years older than me and really they were a, a pivotal part of my parenting even they they taught me a lot of life lessons and skills and you know gave me all of those really helpful life learning kind of lessons when I was young um and I think I felt really supported in that aspect because I did have my sisters to to relate to and talk to and be guided by and I don't know I I think I've I've always had a bit of a disruptive or like rebel mentality in that I want to make change, but I think that only can come from when you feel secure. And um, I don't know if it, if my, my family really instilled any direct values. They really just made my home one that wasn't shying from the truth. It was really honest and really quite... Yeah, like I, I never was really treated as a child, and you know, perhaps sometimes in in written parenting books, that's not really advised. But it was it was just that no, that's the world, and it's not easy, and like this is real life, and you have to work out how you survive. And I, I'm really grateful that I learned how to be resilient and have that kind of survival mentality at the age that I did and with the experiences that I had so that I had I guess a bit more street life confidence walking out into the adult world knowing that I was not only capable from an education scenario but also capable from a life scenario like really just understanding people that's something that my uh, sisters and mum especially are very good at like they'll just be brutally honest and um, really kind of have their wits and EQ about them in who is involved in their life and um, but also having that like unshakable loyalty with people that really have that supportive energy and are really quite valuable uh, integral people integrity was a big part of that so yeah I guess
0: I had a lot of um,
2: guidance for emotional intelligence when I was young that I think
0: has been really valuable. Mm. Massive, massive. Very, very cool. And what about you, Izzy? What was it like in, I guess, for you growing yeah, up?
1: Yeah, I was very much raised a uh, free range. <laughs> Mum and dad, um, like Weezy's parents, were very, very hardworking. And um, I would I'd never say I was neglected at all, but I'd mum and dad were working a lot. And um, I would, I was very independent because of it. So I like would very much just sign up for lots of different things because I was very people driven. So I would love to be, you know, doing volleyball with my friends or, or choir and singing. And, um, and then I was quite confident so that um, I naturally kind of was led to those areas. Uh, but then, you know, mum, dad would come to assembly and, and they'd be like, "Oh, we didn't know you play the piano like that." <laughs> like, "We didn't know you like." You. I'd be like, yeah. "They would," because I just, I, I just do it by myself, really. Um, and then they, um, they were always gave me though like the resources um, and the space and the encouragement that I needed to then keep going with it. Um, and they were. Yeah, I, I'm so lucky. My my family and my household has always been a place that I feel so safe and um, and encouraged in, um, and because of that, I can go off and do my own things, even like the taboo stuff, like we. Um, are so lucky to be supported um, and have I think the encouragement is a really big one um, because a lot of this is you know covering new ground that we absolutely haven't covered ourselves but even things like social enterprise and starting conversations around periods this is also stuff that uh, not many people have shown us um, very clear examples of and so it relies a lot on confidence in yourself and confidence to fail and I think um, that I am very grateful that my parents gave me a lot of space to do both of those things. Yeah. But I loved, I was always, yeah, people driven um, and I loved interacting with people. I loved learning more about people. Um, And I I think the great thing about Wolfwood was that we were really excited. Well, the great thing about our cohort, like the, Every year is different and so I'm not going to generalise a school like we were lucky. I'm grateful that all of the students and the friends we had around us, we were all really keen to see each other succeed as well in the different areas um, that we found ourselves in. We all had different skill sets and that kind of created this team mentality that's very much we're stronger together, like we can contribute different things to our projects, whether it be a fundraising initiative or a campaign or a leadership thing or a leadership group. Um, Yeah, I think we had a good value set of um, appreciating and then giving a a stage at the right time to people's different skill sets.
0: I love that. I think that that is such a underestimated mentality, that whole team mentality for a cohort of, of friends business associates and I love the way that you again like reflect on that And you say everybody was supportive of one another and able to understand that we all offer something valuable that we can then prop up when we need to for each other to get further like I always Mm. think of my circle of friends who I've been lucky enough to have since kindergarten some of them like all the way through school and like we just had lunch the other day we're laughing we're like there's like 10 kids between like five of us like it's wild um but like we always reflect on the similar years that we're discussing here, as well as now in our sort of in our early 2030s. Oh. We're now, oh. um, but like, yeah. <laughs> it's the idea of the idea of like we we were always commented on as a group of friends or a cohort, where f- people would say. Uh, people would hang out with us a bit more, like other groups of guys would start hanging out and we'd be like, What's going on? Like, why are you guys hanging out with us? Mother, like, oh, we just we realized that the way that we feel when we leave your hangouts or your catch-ups is very different to how we feel when we leave our circle of friends. And i like, the difference is like mm-hmm. we'd leave our friends and they'd be like straight away, as soon as you leave the room, they start talking about you. They start like ripping you down or talking about what you're doing, and and just really that poisonous, toxic, you know, tall poppy syndrome almost like they just want to cut you down. He was like, Whereas your group of mm-hmm. friends whenever you guys are together as soon as somebody shares something everybody is behind them everyone is with them everyone is like yes like that's amazing like how can we help what can we do like i'm so proud of you i love you like and that is something that we've all attributed you know on our own level we've attributed that mentality to our individual successes as well because it's with those people and those people behind you that offer you encouragement momentum and, and drive you to continue with your, your goals, whatever they may be. Would you say that then, yeah. like, I guess, was it a, a, a communal feeling, a collective feeling of the five-year reunion? Would you say that everyone was somewhat like, wow, look at where we've all come together?
2: I was pretty, um, it, was, it was just nice seeing how individual people's um careers or lives had gone since school because I you know you have this fear I think in Adelaide that everyone just ends up doing the job that they were prescribed to when they were young or had you know a dream for when they were young and I was really encouraged that everyone had the confidence to actually go and do something a little different or something that Mm. wouldn't have been typically expected that was quite nice because it just means that we were um i and i hope and I, I i think that most of us left school thinking that like oh i can be myself and probably be successful whatever that looks like or i can just you know find my feet and find happiness in in this space even though it might not be what my school or family expected yeah. of me
1: yeah yeah i think we um as a cohort really did know that there was no formula to life like it it doesn't follow a a set pattern or you you can never expect like even with the taboo stuff that we've never expected it, it to pan like we we hoped it would but it's it's gone in directions that we have been so excited and like humbled to be a part of and and it's Yeah, you you could never dream up some of the things that just come out of the woodwork. And I think everyone had that sort of mentality that that like even adults don't know what they're doing. You know, like everyone's just making it up as they go along. Yes, yes.
0: yes. And it's so, the thing that I really love about hearing you speak the way that you do, the thing that I love about that is it's, there's so many, we're not too far apart in age, right? But it also is a world apart from the societal conversations narratives expectations Mm -hmm. and bound let's say boundaries boundaries is probably a shit word but society has changed dramatically right like even on like community levels the way that different groups of ethnicities think is starting to change because the next generations are coming up so what we're seeing is a lot more open conversation you're very much part of that narrative as well specifically around like obviously taboo period products periods menstruation and all those things when I was growing up when I was back in high school and that That wasn't the conversation. We didn't necessarily, it was much like you said, people fell into the prescribed roles. And now we're seeing like people of our year levels and our above us who are leaving their full-time jobs, who are going for more entrepreneurship, altruistic roles where they can, because, because they can, Um, it's not, it's the mindsets that are changing. So when I see and hear you speak about the changes you want to make and You're being the changes you want to see in the world. I feel like you're speaking the language of myself, clearly the disruptors before us, Who are not necessarily disruptors, but pioneers, innovators. You said it yourself. We're going in directions that we've never been before. No one's ever been before, and therefore there is no formula here for how we do it. But I think that's applicable across the board of living um, and understanding people. Like you said, it's about you know understanding other people's positions and where they're coming from and perspectives.
1: Mm totally and I think despite like those those differences in the way times are changing quite quickly at a pretty exponential rate yeah yeah there are still such like, core values that will ring true forever when it comes to humans like even when you were talking about your group of friends and your cohort and you were starting to say what made ours different to the others and my the, the thing that came to my mind was gossiping yeah. for us and then you said when they leave our group they don't feel like they're going to we're going to talk about them behind their backs and I was like, oh, wow, okay, that's that's exactly what I was either anticipating you would say or that was my experience mm-hmm. within our cohort. Yeah. And I think things like gossiping, it's not just about the act in itself. It's about how, how the value you see in other people. Mm-hmm. And if you can see like a, a valuable thing in anyone, which you can if you look, um, you, you want to tear them down or and behind their back is just it's so toxic
0: cowardly, it's, cowardly. it's bullshit you've got no no nah, it's it it's yeah. absolutely like wasteful energy and that's what like you said yeah. like and you I'm- want to have people who say your name in a room of opportunity not just say it negative yeah. you know what I mean yeah
2: no, I love that. And I think it, it really riddles down to that's a lot of feminist theory as well is, is is supporting that notion of supporting other women and, you know, sometimes stepping aside and leaving room for a woman of color or um someone that has a diverse sexuality things that um, misrepresented that still fits in feminism. It's about equality and about equity as well. And I think as you know, both of us were were born into homes that fed us and then we had an education, we we also sure we're 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 women that we we have we want to represent women's voices and do that well. Um, but also understanding the equity dimension of things where sometimes it is actually our place to step back, but also create a space for someone else to fill um so yeah it's almost an extension of, of that su- supporting other people it's it's yes sure that's so important but also understanding your privilege to then step aside for for another person's um you know mis un- underrepresentation to to be seen because we can create that space if you have any position of influence or power like yes you can do something with it but you can also not do anything with that and intentionally give that power to someone else. And that's perhaps twice as more powerful than you creating an act that you think might suit a group or represent some opinion.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I want to go back to the houses that you come from, in the sense of like you said, like we came from families who fed us and, and provided for us. They both allowed the freedom and the boundaries for, and this is such like a parenting question, in the sense of like you always wanted to do it yourself. Uh, has that always been your personality enough through? Like, did that ever cause? I don't know. Okay, there's two parts to this. Sorry, it's a long question. So I like yeah, like- I, I just really like to break things down, like as hard as we can with like the so my son is like super independent right to the point where like he's nearly three and I guess that's probably like a typical three-year-old thing but like he just is one of those kids who from day one he's like got the confidence for miles I don't know where he gets it from he very much has his own like I can do it once I'm doing it it's like I don't need your help anymore papa I don't need your help mama I'll do it myself and he just loves being independent like he wants you know what I mean is that how you were from a young age that you wanted to have like you know that independence or ability to take control and do things with both of your homes were there any moments that you encountered sort of like a a pushback like well actually no this isn't the right thing for you or we don't think you should do this or any boundaries that were imposed on you that maybe you could warn me about and go well don't do that because that was Yeah. yeah
1: yeah you go Oh, this is so hard. Um, there wasn't anything specific. Uh, like, sorry, there wasn't anything huge. Like, it wasn't like I presented my parents with my plan to have a certain career and they said, no. Yeah. Nothing like that has happened. I in year eight, I um I read a book about um an a doctor, an obstetrician gynecologist from Australia who um worked in Ethiopia um to fix complications of um complicated childbirth I just connected with that really quickly like I loved I loved uh this woman's heart for for women whose um role as as someone who's bringing life into the world has become a barrier for them towards the education employment all of that and that speaks more broadly to gender inequality but I loved that kind of intersection between biology and science uh sorry biology and um society and how that plays out on a broader scale and I I kind of I from that point on I had wanted to do medicine but I was one of those personalities that loved I loved Um, my role with performance and and I loved singing and I loved um, particularly the musicals and I very well if if I reckon if if I was encouraged in different areas I definitely was encouraged at school but I think if I had more examples of like performers in my life I probably would have wanted to do musical theatre. Really?
0: Yeah, musical theatre
1: was like...
0: Yeah, this is exactly the answer I wanted, Izzy, as far as, like, trying to understand, like, where... Because I guess I'm similar. I wanted to do other... Not necessarily wanted to do other things. I was always a performer, full stop. But when it was more like the other way, like, well, no, you need to choose now between like a real career or arts. And I was like, no, I don't want to choose. Like if I had more encouragement of the arts rather than like I felt like I had to go against the expectation. to like it wasn't necessarily like, yes, go for it. At the time, it was more like that's not a real thing. Um, yeah this is a great example like you're saying like where if maybe you had more encouragement of one area in different ways
1: but then again like I'm I'm really like I am a big believer in like whatever happens happens for a reason and I think I would have loved that sort of that sort of career path but this is like where I really need to be like I but also I've got nodules now (laughs) so I can't even sing
0: (laughs) No, but that's Adele my New Year's them. resolution. Don't worry about it. Adele had them. So. Did you have- No, Adele. Adele
1: had them. She's a real queen. So I, yeah, that's my New Year's resolution to get on top of that because I, I did a little bit of speech therapy for it, and then I didn't really take my it very seriously, and now. Now it just saddens me because singing brings me so much joy. So um, that's going to be part of my new New Year's resolution. But like, I'm I'm doing fourth year medicine next year, and um and have a role with Taboo still. Um, that's less like day to day, but of course I I love it and love the team and want to be involved as much as I my schedule will permit. Uh, that's it's such a sliding doors moment when you're kind of that age. Like you could, especially when you're passionate about a lot of things, and like I. I reckon I'd come to mum and dad all stressed because I like too many things (laughs) and that's like it's bittersweet and it's like you're so I I feel very lucky to have been so passionate about very many different topics and different like spheres of my life but it actually makes it hard when it comes to making decisions.
0: It really does and it's funny how like even then it's difficult to make those decisions now even like as life continues as you continue to grow you're constantly telling yourself like I can't do everything I can't take on everything I'm excited about everything I can't but I can't do it all because you would just burn out a bit like we were saying at the beginning of the show that you know you've got to be able to protect your energies and sustain the way that we we, we move we're well, talking about the, the moments those sliding doors moments and both of you were involved in the arts and you mentioned singing quite a bit and and that I mentioned earlier that I was in a privileged position where I got to work with you during those years and see you both really, I guess, like I said, ignite um, as far as like a moment within both of you of change or ignition of confidence and uh, like presentation. It was a really wonderful moment. And for me, it was easy when you sang your Wednesday Adams solo song um, in that rehearsal under the lights. And I think we had done it like three or four times and you were just a bit like no it's okay like a bit rattled by it but then it was like no like you just you got to go like just throw everything into this and you did like yeah. that, oh, I just remember big. like being like oh my god it's amazing your voice is amazing like everything is just like on fire and and then from that moment on though like it was like you just wanted to do it again you were like do you remember, I'll do it again like I'm I'm ready like and you just killed it killed it killed it killed it, killed it.
1: it was- Oh, thank you. That was such an exciting. I remember. I remember those moments as well. Like when you, when you finally you've been working hard on something and then it pays off and you feel really proud of yourself. Like it's mm. such a specific feeling. And I think that performing really like concentrates that feeling. Like we get that feeling with taboo. Like you work hard. Like it's a long, it's a longer term. Might be a longer burn. Like I know Weezer's been spending so much time on this relationship we have with a retailer, and that's like really stressful and you learn so much along the way and it's um it's that that bit's hard but then when it like when it creates a success it feels so good but performance just like concentrates onto a little stage
0: (laughs) and then for for you Eloise as well would you say that you found the confidence in performance from school in those Productions. Like I remember again for us, it was one of the rehearsals. I think we had just done the tango. <laughs> I think we'd finally finished mm-hmm. choreographing it. And once it was like, done, it was oh, like done. Okay. Yeah. Like finished. And that's where like this confidence came from that dance. And we were like, we could now understand what we were doing. I felt like. Um and yeah. then from that moment again, you just embodied this role unapologetically which was just a wonderful thing to watch. You go, well, this is, this is what the outcome that we want to have. We want to have impact here where you, you can blossom and be confident. And you mentioned earlier going from sort of small stages to different stages now and how you take through those moments that you think of. What was that like for you?
2: Oh oh my gosh. I, I think Adam's family is specifically, I love also how much we're talking about musicals in this podcast. Um, That was (laughs) a phenomenal period of time. And I really loved it. Like really, really, really loved it, especially that role it was just so much fun and I found just so much freedom and joy in in that role and I did as well in year 12 drama like just any kind of opportunity I had to act it was just a brilliant um and really natural expression of creativity for me that I really cherish and um and still want to continue to do so it's funny though like um when I'm talking about sliding to moments I was really quite looking forward to pursuing music or or arts or, or acting after school. And mum's um, going to hate hearing this, but I think she really, really wanted me to. And I was, I think, still so much of a brat in high school that I just thought, no, like, I don't want to do this for anyone else apart from myself. So I didn't. And I have so many regrets about that because um, you know I, I think as I've as I've gotten old I've realized how silly that is because sometimes when you do things for other people they're also for yourself but I I had I can't I guess a kind of protection over over what my life would look like and I and I was always quite a stubborn child in that like you know, it was my terms. Even there's this like funny thing that mum brings up all the time. And I was like four, someone convinced me that I could fly, but you couldn't do it at school or kindy. You had to like do it in your own time. So I was jumping off of this coffee table onto the concrete floor, like trying to fly. And mum told me like three times, she's like, stop jumping off the table. And it's like, absolutely fair. I'm going to totally injure myself. And she's like, you know, giving me three warnings, the whole thing. She's like, all right, if you do it again, I'm going to give you a smack. And I did it again and she gave me a, a, a wallop and I turned around and I looked at her and I said, didn't hurt and then <laughs> run away. <laughs>
0: you are speaking my son's language 101 yeah (laughs) but it's just it's funny like it's that defiance though we love in him absolutely Mm. because I'm like that's me like I see like it's both of us we're both like I want to do things my way and and I used to question everything my mom and dad and it's funny when we're talking earlier about like parents and the boundaries and the freedom they gave you I love again like I see you both running a business and you said your parents are so supportive of that as well it's a big thing running a business which we'll talk about in a minute but like I remember running my business at 23 24 and not telling like my parents knew that I worked for myself but I would never like go home and uh, yeah I would never go home and be like oh wow like this is what happened today. And like setting this up and like, I would never confide business with them because I knew it would be like Mm -hmm. a worry for them. Does that make sense? Like, whereas like I'm the opposite. Now I'm like, if my boys are running a business in their time, like I want them to be able to tell me all that. And like, and not because my parents wouldn't support it, but I knew I know that they don't understand all of that also from like, I guess, yes. like a cultural um, language yeah. barrier sort of perspective as well. But it's it's nice to sort of, you go, I look at that defiance in in him and I think about my mum always saying, your teachers always used to say, Vince answers questions with questions. Like he always wants to know what, <laughs> like always wants to know more. Or like he'd always have this sort of like, and I said, I used to say to mum, like we used to clash on it all the time and still to this day, very rarely now, like it's funny now because I'm much more like, I don't need to argue about this today. You know, like I used to say to mum and my teachers, if you can't explain it to me, then why, like, A, why are you wasting my time and your time if you can't actually help me understand it and learn it? And if you can't then get to that next exposition of it, I don't understand. Like, why? Tell me why. I want to know why. And if not, let's go find the answer. Like, we can do that. But it's so frustrating as a parent now, (laughs) because I'm like oh just do what I want please but then I'm like no don't you can't say that even though like I feel like it's down to like the littlest of things at the moment maybe that's just the lens I'm seeing it through at the minute but you know you you, I don't want to like direct him anywhere and I don't want to like quash that spirit in him of being quietly confident and knowing what he wants and what he wants to do and it's his terms so if you know if this is the outcome girls I'm really happy with continuing with letting him do that (laughs)
2: I think I can relate to that a little bit with the the parent thing. Cause when, when we came up with the idea of taboo, I remember telling my dad about it and kind of hinting that that's what I was going to do when I finished school. And because he runs a small business and he knows how much hard work
0: totally, it is. Totally,
2: totally. It was so, so it was a big pushback, but it came, I knew and I never doubted that it came from a place of love. He just, and it came from a sense of that's too hard. Like, Go get a, a degree. Go work for someone yeah. else, and that is good advice. Like, I definitely have days where I think that would just be nice if someone told me what to do today, rather than me having workout solutions. 100%, <laughs> yeah. And I think, like, but, you know,
0: my like, so my parents migrated from Italy in the fifties and sixties. They came here, and so like, my dad, my mum tells a story famously that like, dad was at school for like a week. Um, He came to school for a week and he couldn't speak English and all the kids made fun of him. And then he left school and he went and worked with my brother. Like, so my dad was like working and has always been working since he was like 14, like very hands-on, very laborious. And dad always used to Mm say like stay in school, like go to uni or like days when we would be Mm -hmm. off and like come to work with me. And I only realized that as an adult, like the days we would go to work with him and he'd make us like labor for him was like such a show of like, this is a lot of heavy work. If you're not going to go the lengths and push yourself to go work where you want to work whatever, like you have to do something with your hands and look at the toll it takes on your body and look like, it just destroys me. I'm just not cut out for that. Do you know what I mean? But like he always wanted to push that as well, like go to like set up a plan. And that's why I think with the performing, it was always scary for him. Like no one in our family has lived off of performing. Like we've come here with nothing from Italy. Please don't like just throw it away singing and dancing. And I will like, I think that's why when that was a very real career path for me, that conversation again, Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm going to run a production company guys. Um, Yeah. I'm going to invest all my money into it that I've got. And I'm just going to put everything on the line at 21, 22. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like they just wouldn't have been like, yes, that's a wonderful idea. They like dad was just like, don't don't be silly. Yeah.
2: Um, And it comes from a place of protection and safety and that you totally respect and I think the one like to kind of round off the story with my dad as well he then came to our year 12 uh, speech day like our graduation and there was this woman speaking Holly Ransom oh yeah this is really random and I don't really know what she does actually but she just had this like you know great message of like do what you want and go live and dad after it came up to me and he was like you know what like If it fails, you you just pick yourself back up and dust off your shoulders. And I think with any hardworking young person, there is that absolute safety net on just like that. There's nothing wrong with it failing because if you are a hard worker, you are just gonna change direction, change tap, like you know, let it let it slide and move on to the next thing. And it's not it's not as a big deal as as I think it could be. And I can absolutely I know that I can only say that because you know I I have an education and I have you know, the the kind of really helpful um, foundations to make sure that my future is okay if it does fail. You know, there are certainly so many people that don't have that luxury. And that's part of my reason on taking that risk was because it was almost expected. Like if if I have that safety net, why would I not take that risk? Because the outcome could be this significant, really productive, really valuable change for so many other people. Mm -hmm. I'd almost feel like, my scenario was wasted if I went and pursued a career that only sustained me, and that's mm, all. Yeah, hundred
1: percent. Um, I, I were, what was I gonna say? I was gonna say that um for me, mum and dad never really had specific pushback on taboo, um, and they they were always supportive of it. But I don't think they thought it would last beyond. Our gap year, pretty much. (laughs) So they like we we decided to take a year off um, before starting uni to really push to go as far as we could. And in that time, we were meeting with lots of professionals in like accounting, legal, all those like specialties that we had no idea about, but we needed to know a little bit about in order to create this company. So we'd uh, we'd we were learning by just having coffees with so many people around Adelaide. And then we would um, apply that and then we'd start advocating and going to schools and um, and telling people about our idea, but also about period poverty and about the social enterprise uh, business model and how powerful that is. Um, and then we were falling like deeper and deeper in love with this whole process. And we had a long term like projection in mind that we absolutely had had plans of this being a very viable and sustainable and successful company. Um, but I don't think in, in hindsight, mom, mom and dad have both told me that they didn't think it was going to exist beyond that. And then, um, but when we got to the end of that year, we hosted a crowdfunding campaign, which the goal was $48,000. We had two months to raise it in order to kind of keep this social enterprise model. This
0: is the um, 2013 and they, one where you raised $56,000. Is that right? Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. 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 So our goal was $48,000. And mum and dad didn't think that, they didn't tell me at the time, but they they kind of were like, wow, that's a huge goal. <laughs> Good luck on you girls. like, go at it, get at it. Yes. <laughs> but We ended up, <laughs> we ended up raising $56,000 and that led us into the next year of Taboo. Um, so then we kind of were starting to make our orders and things were really starting to become tangible and real and people were starting to recognize the brand and people were starting to expect it, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. So we were kind of just avalanching into this thing where like this, this idea that mum and dad had that it wouldn't really work out was becoming... I guess, less and less of a reality.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that so much. And I want to, again, like I just want to break all of that apart and go, all right, well, before we get to taboo, and I want to explain for people who are listening who don't know what taboo is or taboo period products, if you haven't heard of it, get with it, people, and and what your mission Mm -hmm. is and what social enterprise is and just sort of break that down a little bit. I want to talk about gender equality. We mentioned a couple of times as well. And I guess, like, that's also... A thing that when we were talking earlier about like periods menstruation your cycles this was not a conversation when i was growing up and i have three sisters right so there's a, a wonderful narrative here that um i love that it's such a conversation because even now as a male adult i'm like i don't get it not i don't get periods i very much get periods now not myself but like you know what I'm saying? It's a funny turn of phrase. Um, but, like, I don't get that for a natural biological function that the whole world just hasn't fucking done anything. Like, that blows my mind. And I want to talk about that from, like, like I said, my perspective as a white cisgendered male, like, who's grown up in Australia with all the same media and conversations that everybody else has, how people are only now starting to wake up to this like I said to Joya the other day I was like I can still go into a hotel like a pub and buy a fucking pheromone wipe as a guy right on a vending machine I get a pheromone wipe who the fuck is getting a pheromone wipe right (laughs) yeah my niece my sister my mum my wife any woman in my life who's having their period cannot have free access to a tampon in the bathroom should they need it yeah
2: Yeah. like
0: that is actually such a crazy conversation right like so again we're going to come back to that because that's a massive part Mm -hmm. of what you guys are doing and changing this conversation and I love that and there's so many other people that are coming to the party too but um, gender inequality say inequality is something that i I said it. I'm a white man. (laughs) I don't know what that feels like. Because growing up, I could do everything that I wanted. I could see representations of superheroes, men in powerful positions without realizing it. It's only now that we reflect as a society and more in more education and more information that we go, oh, okay, that's what it does to our psychology. And we see how the patriarch is formed and how these messages are constantly pushed at us. What point, for both of you, did you realise that something was completely amiss between boys and girls, especially, you know, around your biological functions? And what point did you go, we're going to change this for other girls' just mm. representation? Mm. You mentioned that even whether it be, you know, um, smaller minority groups, uh, underrepresented people, races, let alone just genders. When did you, mm. when does that come into play for both of you now?
2: I'd say... Like, in a gender lens, my family come from a long history of very strong women. Like, my my mum's mum mom, left school at 12 to look after her whole family and, you know, lived through Ireland with, like, you know, the Catholic Church. There was a lot of... Um, lot of grit that went into the survival of my family on both sides and I thankfully grew up with a household of three very powerful very strong women and I never had in my immediate circle of understanding as a young person that nothing was attainable or achievable but you know that that inequality wasn't really there in my understanding and I would say in in school and you know, any any involvement or community that was, you know, focused on hosting a fundraiser for a charity. The stories about inequality were really prominent and really quite shocking, um, maybe less so about gender because we went to a, a school that very was, you know, heavy on feminism. It was understood like that was mm-hmm. the mentality that yeah. We, yeah. it was natural to adopt. And I think as I have walked through life as an adult, that's when I've just been absolutely disgusted in how prominent it actually is in the society that is so wealthy and so well-educated. Like, I it's just I think I I have been shocked and I'm continuously learning like how unsafe you feel in in public and you know these little intricate um instincts or emotions or um habits that you pick up for I I think what's most prominently on my mind at the moment is 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 your safety as a woman is absolutely ridiculous and that comparison in our society is really really stark um And then, yeah, I've just been really lucky and thankful that I've had opportunities to travel. And seeing inequality in play in other countries and other cultures is also really quite shocking. Um, And then there's just further learnings on um, cultural practices or just norms that are so repressive and quite stark. And, yeah, I I think I'm still in that phase of really trying to absorb uh, other people's experiences and understanding of inequality before I really have this formed opinion because i am still learning so much um and mm. and personal experiences as well which is really kind of formulates why this inequality oh, exists yeah. and how people are so so disregarded mm. i think helen connolly the commissioner for young children often says if we can't have a conversation about periods how are we going to have a conversation about domestic violence okay. or or you know it's the basic biological function that we all exist for like yeah. we we all have to thank for still not acceptable how are we going to address all of these other complex yeah, yeah. you know all of these other issues of equality
1: mm. yeah I think my I guess story probably echoes ways is- quite well in that I my household was full of um well it was my, my mom, my dad and my brother and I I was never um treated differently to my brother in terms of how like what my parents were expecting of us or like what we had the opportunities to do that there was no I, I had no experience of having a feeling like I had lesser worth or anything because of my gender and then mom is just Just so independent and herself. Like, she'd, I'd back my mom in a (laughs) fight, for example, between mom and dad. She like whoops dad's ass and marathons like every, all the time. But like, what I would, I was only really introduced to gender inequality in like an international sense at first like I um yeah. I would read these stories like similar to the book I was referring to beforehand was lucky enough to go to, um to Kenya and South Sudan in year eight and I'd see like the um that women's the value placed on women was so incredibly different like I people well women would would have complications with their birth and then they'd have these fistulas which meant they would constantly be leaking urine and feces and instead of seeking um seeking some sort of solution to that the women would just be kind of left literally to die and there's there's other stories I'm reading a a book at the moment called Half the Sky which admittedly I've been reading for the last like two three years (laughs) but it's a really really um I'm not a great reader I'd love to be, but um, these stories are very dense, and it's like it's it's not just one you pick up before you go to, to bed. But um, these these are stories of women that are literally just cast out onto the street when they're not, you know, fulfilling their their um their role as well as they should be, or when they're not needed anymore. And so those sorts of like narratives shocked me completely. And then when we were looking back in, like through our Education at the end of year 12, and we were so grateful to have this um, look towards our future with so much hope and excitement about the opportunities that we'd be given because we hadn't necessarily been treated differently as women within our sphere. I think that's the stark contrast of then comparing someone, say, overseas, who has their period and then doesn't go to school because of it, or can't be employed because they can't manage their period, or don't have the right products to deal with it. The fact that that would steal away someone's education just because of their biological function was just gobsmacking and so unfair. Um, and then since then, of course, you go into like the wide world and you you see it play out in even the world that we're living in. And you see the way you think about the way, I wonder how that conversation would have panned out if I was a male, or I wonder if, um, you know, I would have been treated differently in a situation if I was a male or even older as well. There's like there's elements of like ageism as well in a lot of the conversations or situations that we find ourselves in. Yeah.
0: It's it's a very interesting world now, which I love because people are starting to think, well, how would that have gone if I was a male or older or a female or and uh, like I can't speak for everybody. I can only speak for my own experience. but even like I'm so much more aware of the inequality that I now almost question everything where I'm like, what would this like how is it that I can walk down the street comfortably at night but I, my wife can't. And maybe it is because yeah. I am a husband and just a bit older and like you know what I mean? I, I recognize the privilege that's that is mine that it makes my head spin where I'm just like I don't like we have to we have to have these conversations. We have to be able to speak at the base level of a biological function, periods. We have to be able to speak about domestic abuse. We have to be able to speak about our feelings and our mental health. We have to be able to speak about everything. And that's where I think, you know, ultimately truth within another person, yourself has to be, you have to be authentic with everything you're feeling and saying and representing, because that's where we connect. That's where we can actually find common ground without having a defensive And offensive conversation, we can just talk about these things and actually, you know what I mean? But then it does then come back to individuals who hear the information to actually act when you know action is needed. Sorry, Louise, what are you gonna say?
2: I I was just gonna like I I think one thing I've learned in the last few years, especially when um I guess you know there are so many movements of activism that have opened our eyes to so many issues, and it's been a really nice reminder more often than not that people for example my partner when um Dixon was murdered that was a a horrible tragedy that kind of uncovered this big chat that we had and he Mm. had no idea that I would hold I would walk down the street with my keys between my fingers and you know all of these safety mechanisms that as a social norm for my experience as a woman Mm. but also you know he was absolutely shocked and so upset and sad and and now you know he is someone that contributes to that conversation and it's a great reminder that people I don't think we're born individuals aren't born with an instinct to disadvantage one group that we're not you know designed to dismantle people's privilege or you know even safety and we have just adopted the the social expectations of whatever know sorry to be stereotypical whatever category you fit into it's like okay that's how you behave because you have these freedoms and this is how you behave and it's not i think it's so we have so much opportunity ahead of us to really dive into those expectations or standards uncover what is what are human rights and where we can change and that's why conversations about rape culture are so prominent and important because Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not that, you know, we need to completely eradicate all the rapists. It's just that, no, we live in a society that's allowed people to um, develop these behaviours and have opportunities to do these horrible things and not have the justice applied to them because of this general social.
0: Allows them to be protected. Do you know what I mean? Like that self is again, like I find myself speechless a lot of the days, girl, (laughs) Um, I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of time in a day where I'm just blown away by stupidity, the injustice, and, I mean, I'm no, I'm not the only one. A lot of people, and maybe that's, again, just a bit of a collective energy at the moment with all of the things that are going on outside the four walls that we speak of, but I think everyone just needs to look after each other at the moment, have that time, have a Absolutely. bit of each other and, and give each other space, which brings us back to, like, the yeah. honest conversations and changing the narrative um, around not only uh, everything, gender inequality, but more specifically periods, um and menstruation I I had a moment three weeks ago four weeks ago with a colleague of mine I I love this moment and you were the first people that came to my mind I was working one night and a colleague comes over and just out of nowhere and I don't I say colleague because I know her we've worked together maybe like 10 days of the year right but she comes over and she's like oh I got my period right in the middle of the ceremony today and I was like oh wow that sucks like that's awful and she was like yeah it's just been cramping so hard like ever since and I'm just in agony and I was like can I get you some all? like can I get a wheat bag or I'll see if I can find something or she was like no I've just had a cup of neurofen oh good thank you so much it's so sweet and I was like oh no like it's I'm sure it's worse for you than it is for me like clearly <laughs> and in my head I was just like that's a again like a a normal conversation what what's difficult yeah. about that? why do people get weirded out about periods and again like I wouldn't have had that conversation previously with anyone I'm, I'm happy that it just sort of was forced upon me as well and I say that like who someone who very openly speaks about periods all the time now I mentioned I have three sisters it was never like a conversation at home for us in our house yeah. it wasn't like of, you know, talk about it. They never openly discussed it. It was very much your business. Um, yeah. But then, you know, fast forward twenty years, and I've, I'm have i having this very comfortable, open conversation in a public setting with someone. And in my head, I was just like, "Yes, this is what we fucking need." Mm. Because again, yeah, it's not it's not a small part of it's fifty percent over fifty percent of our population. Like, I don't get it. Yeah, why are people weirded out about periods? Do you think?
1: To- yeah, that that's such a beautiful example of a conversation and what came to my mind is that there's like two players in that conversation obviously there's yourself who is responding to the conversation very naturally and positively and helpfully which is so important but then the fact that this woman forever for whatever reason felt comfortable um, and confident enough to talk About it so openly about her current experience and current symptoms, and that's so important. And I think there's so many factors that have um, led to people who menstruate feeling uncomfortable about their the fact that they're bleeding. And one of like just one example that came to mind um, was the fact that, and this might seem a little bit disconnected, but it plays into the grand scheme of things. Um, You may be aware that there was GST on. On period products until 2018. So they were classed as a luxury item. Yes. And that means that things. <laughs> I think that is, it's such a brilliant example of a, a situation in which obviously the people in leadership at the time, like the people making those decisions, hadn't experienced periods. Didn't realize that they're not in fact a luxury experience, and also didn't realize that these products are equivalent to toilet paper, and that would be because they they don't have the experience themselves. And so, years of generations and a history of people who don't menstruate often being the ones in charge and leading those conversations and leading those like policies and um and the standards has just created this space where a lot of people don't feel comfortable talking about an experience that the person they're talking to doesn't know about or you don't, never know how they're going to respond. Um, so there's there's so many factors at play and a lot of it relates to, all of it relates to a lack of understanding or a lack of education, whether that be a lack of understanding because you haven't had the personal experience or whether that be because in the past we haven't understood what a period actually means or what it, what its role has been and so in those hundreds of years ago lots of negative related myths and and understandings and um and i guess ideas that weren't rooted in in truth or or science um meant that there was a lot of room for negative connotations to be um made with the period, which now filters through these conversations. And it's incredible to see that history unfold in this way.
0: Yeah, yeah, it really is. And I feel like it's it's wonderful to see. Like I feel lucky enough to have seen it happen. Because I know that when we're gone, the next generations for a millennia after us, they will be talking about it. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Once you get the toothpaste out of the tube, it's very hard to get back in. You know what I'm saying?
1: That's a great one. I haven't heard that. Love it.
0: <laughs> Once you let it out, it's very hard to put it back in. And I think that's that's with this, this conversation. Do you know what I mean? And it goes beyond just the ability or, or normality of discussing it, but also beyond that period poverty. And so Taboo, Taboo's purpose is to eradicate period poverty globally and to improve menstrual well-being. What is period poverty for anyone who doesn't know know that term?
2: So it's a term that actually like wasn't really around when we started, but we were we were learning about the, the issue, which is um simply a lack of access to appropriate period products or education to deal with your period. So um it often affects people who are living in existing poverty, so they, they might not have many um mm kind of human rights granted and one of them is access to appropriate mental well being. Um but yeah it can really affect anyone and I think that's an important thing to 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 kind of note as well in that it's not a foreign experience um it, and it even is really prominent in australia um who you know we're, we're considered a very wealthy country but still so many girls aren't able to go to school because they don't have access to product or um they live in really remote or rural communities where it's just inaccessible whether it be too expensive or just um too far out of reach um yeah any kind of emotion uh, uh, economic burden that you bear that can lead to period poverty if you're um you know fleeing domestic violence you're you're not in a stable you know home scenario you're, you're likely going to be caught short um which is why the conversation about having access to period products like you were saying with the pheromone wipe you know it's no one's everyone's gonna be fine if no one ever uses a pheromone wipe but, um, when it comes to periods, you know, it, because it has such a dense stigma attached, if you're caught short, you, you have this overwhelming sense of shame because you're nervous about who might see you bleed. And, and I guess with the social, um, you know, expectation of things, like you should feel ashamed because you're, you're dirty or unclean, even though it's such a natural and important and vital process, um yeah, that stigma has really harsh emotional effects and then it can just really ripple into a lot of other um complications if especially someone's using alternate materials to manage their period like um organic matter or um yeah like tree bark or leaves or or chucks or sponges kitchens you know anything like that it's it's an intimate and it's a um a complex area of your body it's so um you know it's it's not uncommon to then develop really significant and sometimes fatal complications
1: that um, kind of have a medical impact for the rest of your life. Mm. And the practicality of it—like if you don't have the products to deal with it, there's a constant flow of blood for, on average, five days. Like it's—it's it's not something that, like even though, even if the, st- the stigma and shame didn't exist, like you've got to do something with that blood. <laughs> and um, and I like I often think of it as like a. Um, if you had like a, a cut on your arm and it was leaking blood for five days, people would be like, Oh my gosh, are you feeling okay? Like, do 100%. you like, are your eye levels now low? Like, are you feeling faint? Do you need water? Like, you need medication. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least put a bandage on it. <laughs> so, right. um, so the, when you, yeah, w- when you compare it to other like situations that most people empathize with, it becomes even more gobsmacking, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. um, but, um there's now a new uh, def- definition of menstrual health as well and that's come into play this year um, and this definition doesn't just um, cover like an accessibility or affordability of product itself like pads and tampons or other alternative um, period products, it also covers the the education piece, the um, the social supports to deal, deal with it emotionally even, um, obviously all the the infrastructure that you need, toilets, all of that peripheral stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's it's a complex aspect of someone's someone who bleeds health. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it needs for that reason, um, not complex, but holistic and thorough solutions.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it's you took the answer out of my mouth, the question out of my mouth when you mentioned the um you were saying how like if you don't have access to the products people are using alternate materials which like you said can lead to like crazy complications in some instances and fatal it's education so what else needs to happen as far as like i know there's a lot of discussion at the moment about having this as part of the curriculum in sex ed and it already is obviously like we talk about it but it, again not into the depth of offering further understanding for everyone in the room, boys and girls alike, to continue for people to be aware of not just the physical uh, side of it, the mental side of it, but the what else can people do? How else can those around you support and help and spread awareness?
2: Hmm. There's so much opportunity and the perfect place to start, I think, is schools and that's like, really important that young people grow up and have a really good grip on what's going on and what opportunities they have in variety of products and and whatnot. But it even extends further to more intricate but very, um, you know, big and potentially influential concepts such as um, the a, a female hormone cycle. So men run on a 24-hour hormone cycle and women typically run on a 28-day hormone cycle. So there are seasons in the month where you are, you know, full of energy and you have a lot to give. And then perhaps, um, you know, when you're bleeding, that's when your energy is kind of depleted and there there's a huge, beautiful superpower embedded in that in dynamic, you know, we, we can actually use that to a brilliant advantage and time kind of creative activities in certain areas of your month, And then also, kind of program your rest in other areas um so understanding that half the population actually function on that kind of cycle um could be really beneficial because at the moment society definitely runs on the 24-hour cycle you're expected to rock up every day in the same you know space even like totally. when um you know, morning teas afternoon tea breaks you know set that's kind of just on a, on a, on a male hormone scale and hormones run everything. So, you know, that's a that's a really um rich place to start in understanding the body um extended from the cycle and then how that can be embedded in the social spectrum
0: as well. Um, like I think that that's such a beneficial thing to understand if you can get your head around it from a friend or a employer's point of view perhaps where you go we're going to play to the benefits of this individual's energetic physical and menstrual cycle mm. they're going to think <laughs> sharper when they're in there uh, i want to say is it summer is oh, i'm going to get all the seasons confused <laughs> because, well i'm learning so much uh over the last couple of months i'm I'm working with another local artist who i, I believe you you've spoken with as well carla matiazzo on her new cabaret yeah. show period four seasons one cycle the musical which um is her fringe show for next year that I'm directing so I've been knee deep in uh, in script and reading and and listening to the flow podcast over the last couple of months as well I'm really we'll talk about that in a little bit but just like again I'm these are the conversations that it's wonderful to be able to have do you know what I mean like I actually find it so as a guide it's like you can communicate better with the girls in your life the women in your life um, I can like you know understand it but like we're saying if you can play to those strengths as well for everyone it's like anyone with a, a mental health issue whatever it might be or even just a, an unseen disability an invisible disability you know you mentioned Izzy like if imagine if someone had a cut and was bleeding for five days straight you'd be like oh my god please like what can we do what can we do to help you yeah. go home, go rest? But then we're saying we actually yeah. expect you just to continue to operate as normal for those those five days like anybody else. Because we don't see it, would you say that it could be comparable to an invisible disability?
2: I think there's just not been a space for the discussion to be had. Um, like it, it's not it's not something that's been welcomed and I think as well, women have been granted an opportunity, you know, since maybe even the the introduction of the pill in the 70s or 60s, you know, then women could have a career of their own and they could choose when to have babies. And we've been running on the the back end of that movement in that we can have a life and it's in our own terms and we can choose to have a career or a family or both. Um, And I think there's still this sense of pride from that movement, and perhaps a sense of like gatekeeping as well. I think a lot of women don't want to then produce more inconveniences, in quotation marks, or you know, like yeah. little that we're kind of we've gotten to a point. I think in history where women are fighting at the same pace, or you know, still fighting for for other equalities, still on on a masculine designed, I guess, expectation. Yeah. That pulling more expectations that are even further from the existing um design of society if we're talking in general you know concepts I don't I think there's still a hesitancy to to bring a further burden even though it's it's just a matter of of shift so that we can actually be
1: more productive as society and more safe and more mm-hmm. welcoming like talking and teaching about periods in itself is important but as we've talked about already like that that conversation goes beyond the, the whole menstrual cycle and those terms are often like used interchangeably but they're very different mm-hmm. and that menstrual cycle is is so there's a full body experience a full cycle like monthly experience but then also like it plays into into Um, the lives of people around you as well. Like you're fertile, for example, in the middle of that cycle, in your summer, we refer it to as, and partners need to be aware of that because um, when we go, when we do, uh, I for one have just come off of, not just, I've come off of contraception because, um, because I didn't like what it was doing to my moods. And I didn't, I don't know necessarily if that was connected, but you know, you always have those thoughts in it and it, whether it does or it doesn't it affects how you play out your life Mm -hmm. and so I got rid of that but that's something that I need to be aware of now Mm -hmm. but sometimes if that's like becomes an impracticality and then it becomes your own like burden that's not fair either so like that's why partners need to be involved and that's Mm -hmm. why the menstrual cycle Mm -hmm. needs to be understood um and and respected Mm -hmm. and that probably leads on to the other opportunity
2: we have is just to improve women's Um, healthcare in general like there's still so much that hasn't been uncovered or understood or Mm -hmm. you know so many conditions that have been completely ignored in in medical research or you know distinctively ignored in comparison to other other um, disease and whatnot like gosh we have so much work to do Mm -hmm. and it really honestly just starts with the the pressure that people can provide on actually finding answers and and pursuing these solutions because we I don't think have had a very large historical space to do that with ease.
0: Yeah, and I think that's where you know we need to get. Uh, and I'll say we, men, we need to get on board here because if every woman feels that way, like you said, like they don't want to have an extra burden or whatever, like or they they if you all relate to each other when you know I and mean, you all understand this feeling of the shame, the stigma, the the conversations you're not able to have, or just the way that the expectations. But women also understand if they support each other, they can do it. If we understood that and empathize with that and work with it as well, and get on board, guys, and actually try to, it's it changes everything. Do you know what I mean? Would you and and I would assume that hundred percent of women would be on board with that, right? Like, surely. I don't want to speak for all women. Yeah. Um, but I'm- like I don't know. Like to me, it's just it's a no-brainer, and I even like as a guy you've got to go it's it's normal it's natural it's beautiful without it you wouldn't exist you yourself yeah you know what I mean like that's a whole nother concept a whole different paradigm shift we won't even go to philosophy and and existential crisis but it's
1: quite simple
2: like we we often remind people of that like oh you're uncomfortable that's funny otherwise you wouldn't be around
0: yeah (laughs) yeah and that's the thing like it just it makes me laugh because I'm just like come on man like I've still got mates who, you know, cringe and I oh, don't talk about it. All right. And it's like, get over it. Get over, Like, I'm sorry. Get the fuck over it. Like, I don't understand. Uh, yeah,
1: there was a moment that, so we had our Christmas party, our taboo Christmas party last week. Yeah. And we all dressed up as our, what season we were in. So I... <laughs> had like a dinner and then we um we came back to the office and had a little drink had how our our part like partners and friends come and everything and um our like so my boyfriend Nick came and he was meant to dress up as my season and um he was like so is there a dress up am I meant to dress like am I, what am I meant to wear and I was like oh you need to come in my season like and I didn't tell him I wanted to see if he'd remember and he remembered, he remembered I was in spring. And so he dressed up in a little like flower shirt or something. And I was just like, that, like, for me, I was, like, I'm so like grateful that you remember, but also like that I feel like if he had a period, I would know where he was,
0: yeah, <laughs> like yeah. in
1: his cycle. Do you know I mean, what I mean? Absolutely. So, like, it's not that expectation
0: no not at all not at all and again like maybe it's just growing up for some guys as well like I think there is such an immaturity around it it's like erections do you know what I mean like you kind of think of high school and it's like erections and periods and oh my god like people just sometimes can't grow up past that mentality but you've just got to be on that as a society we need and you've already said like we're not even scratching the surface on still what needs to be done But it is absolutely a massive step in the right direction. Let's talk about Taboo to just quickly go over the social enterprise aspect of the company because this is a a relatively new model as well in business and you're doing very well at it. So let's talk about that. What is social enterprise?
1: So pretty
2: much it's it's like any other business that sells something, a product or a service for a profit and for, for, for money. Uh, but the social enterprise model, and especially in our scenario, is that we sell a brand of certified organic cotton pads and tampons to a market that's worth like $400 million or something a year in Australia. So. And I think it's not it's not um, hard for anyone to just think about everything they buy in a week and how much money they spend in the shops and you do groceries like we invest in in one way or another in a lot of brands. Um, And the social enterprise model just takes advantage of that market in that, okay, people are buying these items, products anyway. and we've designed our company in that the shareholders, Izzy and I, will never take home a dividended profit. So we're, we're employed now, which is a novelty because we, we were unemployed for so long. But you know, we we make our living, and that's really just an expectation that you know everyone should make a living from the work that they do. Um, but the the power in our model is that the profit we generate is what's invested into our charitable mission. And that profit is what generates the change. So our mission is to eradicate period poverty in a global context. All of them, all of the extra money, you know, that goes into what comes out of business production is invested in this change. And it's just a way to, to make change without really asking people the extra money. We're just really transforming the habits and the mechanisms in which we spend and repurposing that money mm-hmm. that is traditionally set aside for investors that make rich people richer. Like we, we just want to dump that model completely because there's actually no way, and it does come from that mentality of why, 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 why? Like, why does that person need to take home $4 million at the end of the year because will they need it? No, like, yeah, mm-hmm. that, that's so unnecessary. So yeah, so it's it's quite a transformative model that is getting really popular. And as it gets policy support as well, like we can totally change the world. Like you know, so many enterprises, everyone can be a social enterprise, and then like surprise, there's no huge you know a just inequality in this. There's no reason, like
0: yeah. no, anyway. No reason exactly. It's other than greed. Like again, like yeah. I want to point the finger at all of humans, but greed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like. <laughs>
2: compliance like we're, we're just so compliant as a society of like oh okay yeah oh i'll work hard and eat this is my reward like hard yeah. work should be but the way that it's been rewarded and the design of capitalism now is just really problematic and you know Beautiful. then we're watching people get sadder as well.
0: yeah mm-hmm. and that's the thing we're seeing a greater divide between the socio-economic classes you know what i mean globally let alone to go well absolutely greed is the the problem here because we could solve world hunger we could solve clean water we could solve renewable energy we could afford access to sanitary products do you know what i mean like there is no reason that we shouldn't like and it almost is a bit of a kick in the in the teeth to go well like we shouldn't have to work this hard to be getting that does that make you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. if we all had that shared value and why we don't is a complete flaw in society, isn't it? That we don't share those things. When we look at someone else and go, oh, shit, I've got more than I need. Let me help you out. Let me, how do we create that?
1: Exactly. And then with with the social enterprise model, inherently those businesses have a responsibility as well to to take um, on board an advocacy role as well and an education role. So a lot of our activities surround those two things like we are a, a platform for advocacy around period poverty and also the provision of, of pads and tampons in, in workplaces, in schools, in public facilities, um, because we, our mission is to eradicate period poverty. And we know to do that, people need access to products. And we know that lots of people can't afford those products. So that's going to be something we advocate for. And then in the education space, um, as we've talked about periods and the menstrual cycle is so much more complicated and um, such a whole body experience that needs to be educated really well. And so we also have a responsibility to create, whether it be social media material or our our podcasts, all of these other um, avenues for spreading information, um, which is reaching our goal of eradicating period poverty um, in that period poverty requires people to have an understanding and a knowledge base on their period. Um, and so, if every business, say, was a social enterprise, that could, like you can just imagine how much support for the community there would be, how much um, education there would be available, um, and how much of a sense of responsibility and the responsibilities that would be filled by. Businesses which have a lot of power in our communities and our like general society.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What would you say then, girls? Because in the time, it's been a very short, short time really that Taboo has been around. And like you said, some maybe didn't expect it to last more than your gap year, but look at the legs that you've put on it and where you're going since its inception, not only raising over $56,000 the social enterprise model you're giving back to communities you're also supporting local artists you've just had your first art exhibition we Bleed, um, which just closed last week which is a riot success and you can still buy some of the artwork I believe online um links up above down below wherever they are um but let's talk about I guess like what do you see the next five years um it was funny I asked you before did you think five years ago this is where you would be same question projected. Where do you see yourselves now in five years' time with Taboo or beyond?
2: Um, In great, great, great spaces. Um, There's so much room for us to grow. Like we've only really just chipped into the supermarket sphere and there's, you know, thousands and thousands of stores that we'd love to grow into because um, that's where the market sits and that's where, therefore, the change lies as well in, in our financial viability and then of course how much we um how much room we have to contribute to our mission which is a really exciting thought we want to grow our range um even walk into different other product areas but yeah I think like something that I'm so excited to continue advocating for especially is the social enterprise model like I don't actually want to bring my if I have children I don't want to bring those children into a world where um, their shopping contributes to someone's wealth rather than contributes to change in a progressive way. Like, like we were talking about, there's no reason why this inequality needs to exist. And, you know, of course it's complex. Of course, there's no one economic, you know, you wave a wand and everyone's happy, but there's so much really exciting opportunity to transform the way business is done and, um, and to allow people to have a life where they feel free to pursue something that they, they are passionate about. Like there's, yeah, it makes me quite angry that, you know, so many people just can't pursue the future that they want for themselves because of their scenario and because no one's extending an olive branch, I guess, for that to be the case. But there shouldn't need to be the need for an extension of a branch, you know, like people.
0: Know. Totally, totally. But it comes with, like, you know what I mean, it's, it's not unwelcome. <laughs>
2: And yeah, I just, am really keen to see a more equal society from, you know, the kind of foundations and design that we've, we've created and then Taboo in itself, you know, totally want to see period poverty eradicated in Australia, especially like that seems like the easy first step, but it's not easy, but also like, why the heck is this a thing here? So that's got to change at least in the next five years.
1: Mm, Yeah, absolutely. Um, I echo all of that um, in terms of, yeah, where Taboo's at. I also will be, ideally, have finished my medical degree by then, <laughs> fingers crossed. I'm currently in my second gap year. Um, but I I would love to go down the area of women's health, um, whether that be OBS and gynae, and I'd love to see the two um, aspects of life contribute to one another if that if that is how it pans out but as we've seen in the last 5 years like life can go in directions you don't really expect so pretty much open to whatever is going to make i guess the biggest difference and we feel the most passionate about i guess like from our conversation right at the start um coming out of school and wanting to be where like you can make change that that's so important but then at the same time the last five years has really proven to us that if we weren't particularly passionate about this topic, we would not have lasted this long. And we would be burnt out probably somewhere in the gutter somewhere right now, just like rocking. But like, (laughs) but um, that is fine because this is our passion and lots of other people have passions that we wouldn't have contributed five years and heaps of effort and, we wouldn't have foregone lots of years of employment for as well. So, you know, you, you've got to find that perfect balance of where you're needed and, and where you really have the energy to serve in that space. And I think on that as well,
2: change and like progressive movements and like using your life for good of other people looks so different. Like I, I know that the the work we do can sometimes see extra selfless because we took so many years of, you know, working ourselves to the ground but like I have also had a a, a adult you know snippet of life in hospitality and that brings so much value to people as well like there's there's no there's no one way of creating change um and I think the the best place to start is the human relationships and the human humanness of life and then you get to understand that the crux of where that change should be met. And sometimes that is just through friendship, which ends up being, you know, boundlessly valuable. Um yeah. So there's there's no rules, but just be a good person.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Exactly. Just be a good person. Be a good human. Like it's it's not hard, guys. I just want to ask like for each of you, is there a fallback mentality or what is your guidepost in your your drive your pursuit of your goals do you have something that you fall back on or a mantra or a saying that that really inspires you and keeps you grounded and focused
1: I remember pretty early on we had like a um we'd noted down like a proverb that we saw that was um she is clothed in strength and dignity and laughs without fear of the future which for me, has like been a constant reminder because there's so there's so much to unpack there. Like yeah. she is clothed in strength and dignity. Obviously this is like a gendered discussion. Um, strength and dignity is so valuable. Dignity is particularly a, a buzzword that we use with taboo a lot because there are people who use alternatives to pads, for example, toilet paper or socks or mattress rippings, but that's not a dignified approach to menstruation like how does that make the individual feel in terms of what their period and how their period is viewed by society and also the importance of their own health and all of that sort of stuff so dignity is so important strength like we all deserve to feel strong like like our actions can can change things and lots of people don't feel strong just because they don't have the supports around them to feel strong like it's very unlikely that someone can just feel strong of their own accord, like by themselves without any other like factors that support them around them. So that's important. And then last without fear of the future is so important because laughing is a part of life. It's a human right, really, like to be in a, a position where you're comfortable and safe enough to have a fun time where you're not worried and or frustrated or, or concerned for your, your being. Like that's, Underrated. Then, laughing really? in itself, totally. and without fear, <laughs> without fear of the future, is just speaks volumes to taboo because period poverty and um, the effects of it are a lack of education, lack of employment, lack of social inclusion, which which affects your future opportunities and your ability to create a hopeful future for yourself. So that sort of that sort of proverb, mantra, whatever you want to call it. Um, really encaptures for me what we're trying to do here at Taboo to break down some of those barriers that stop women women particularly, really anyone who bleeds, having to experience those feelings.
0: Yeah, I Mm. think that's so, so powerful. Thank you for sharing that quote as well. That's gorgeous. And like you said, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack there. And I think if more people can look at that, understand it, reflect that into the world, then we're going to have a much better society, even in itself, like absolutely gorgeous. What about you, Wheeze? Um,
2: I think, uh, yeah, that's just also been a golden thread through, through Taboo and through our work with Taboo for me. Um, I've spent a lot of time in the recent year or two really understanding, like, um, and, you know, not to sound like I'm on another planet, but like energetic response to a lot of things. And if there's any uncertain like reaction or opportunity, like, and it really just matters so much to understand how you feel and not in a, not in a shallow emotive sense, but like how it makes you feel long-term how you would maybe in 10 years time, look back on yourself and that decision and think, okay, yep. That was with integrity or that was with, um, you know values that are timeless rather than values that are responsive to the moment um and that's really helped me just find a lot of sense and grounding in in my friends um and and family to really understand your roots and who you are to then move through so yeah I, I think Even though it's probably a bit delayed, I've spent a lot of this year finding more of my foundational self, which has then um, helped me guide the the outward self.
0: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. (laughs) Uh, You're speaking 100% English to me and many, many me, That's a whole other podcast. we'll (laughs) We'll talk about energies and all sorts of things. Girls, is this what success looks like to you? Is this what you thought success would be? Would you consider yourself successful?
2: Hmm. I I I feel that we've done a lot, but because we're in a in a in a business financial scenario where we are not in a position to give our profits away just yet, it's all being reinvested into helping helping us be sustainable. I think I would definitely feel that we've maybe achieved a, a success when we're in that position to make that that dent in period poverty. And there's certain dents that we've made, especially with our Australian period poverty outreach. There's been a lot of progression and that does feel like we're doing our job well and that what we, um, you know, have set out to do, it is being done. But, yeah, maybe mm-hmm. this is too self-critical, but I'm kind of looking forward to when we have a, a bigger impact that that will, you know, it'll, it'll almost make it the 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 pendulum will swing in a balanced way and that we've done a lot of hard work in the commercial side it's not quite swung back to the impact to the extent that we've designed it to do and that is just time it's not that we've you know done anything wrong or we've, you know, made wrong decisions it's just that you have to set the foundations strong to allow that change to be powered by by those foundations I guess. so yeah absolutely yeah. Maybe not yet
1: <laughs> I, I completely agree with that in terms of Taboo's success and what that means as an entity. and um, I feel that both of us have worked really hard to also not define our identity by taboo, and so that means that whether taboo succeeds, if it massively failed, like if we had to shut shop tomorrow, success. If our identity was rooted in taboo, that would really affect our view of our success of ourselves, and so for. For us, it's also been a lot about drawing away our identity from taboo, and then have redefining what success means to us as individuals. And that uh, actually, I spoke recently before about um, how I've always loved people and people around me. And for me, success is about being a person in my close knit sphere that positively impacts the people around me, but then broader than that as well. And that's how, you know, Taboo comes into play and, like, those more kind of scalable ways of making a positive impact come into play. But at the very crux of it, it's about how, well, in my opinion, it's about how you make the people closest to you feel as well when you leave the room and, like, that's success in itself.
0: That's perfect. It's it's beautiful. And I think both... You know there's no wrong answer for, for how individuals measure it, which is the whole point of like you know, we we're saying earlier, it's important people have these types of conversations. That's exactly the reason I started this yeah. podcast, you know, these conversations one-to-one, and they offer so many wonderful perspectives. And people are so busy today on social media as the measuring stick, which is just a complete false positive that you go, Well, no, like you you actually need to sit with people. There's a I think it's in um somewhere in Europe I want to say Denmark but I don't know if it is Denmark but it feels right that you can go to the library and hire a person for like 30 minutes and so you sit with someone and they're all labeled like labeled uh, like unemployed homeless um chronic illness cancer survivor like whatever it is but people like volunteer themselves to basically go and sit and have a 30 minute conversation with people just telling you about themselves so that people can get Understanding and perspective and, and it's doing wonderful things for, for society, you know what I mean? So, again, conversations like this that some people avoid because they're heavy or they're just uncomfortable, sometimes they're the most, in, well, most times, they're the most important conversations to have. Yeah. Oh, girls, yeah. I have had an absolute blast having the two of you for the last two hours, not only just sharing, like, your own personal journeys your personal stories of growing up and getting to where you are now and hearing of the successes and the projections of where you're going, because it's been a privilege to have been a small part of it early on and have met you when we did and and see you like we spoke about in those formative years. But, you know, to fast forward to today and see all of the positive impact that you are making on so many channels and levels is absolutely inspiring. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm thrilled that like our future is in your hands, my son's hands, hopefully lots more good people. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's a nice thing uh, that gives us hope for what tomorrow looks like. You know, you said yourself, Eloise, you know, equality has to happen. We have to have all of those things for all of us. So thank you for all the work you're doing. Thanks for sharing all of that. I have 10 questions, rapid fire to finish off that I asked Ooh. everybody. Are you ready for these?
1: Rapid.
0: Okay. Right. Here we go. What is your favourite word?
1: First one that came to my mind. Oh, no. Like, Do you mean the meaning behind it or the way it sounds in my mouth? Just yeah. rapid fun.
0: <laughs> What's your favourite word? <laughs> word? What's your favourite word for the meaning, the sound, like whatever? What was yours? Ooh, like?
2: Mine's, no, like you fool. Oh. That
0: word. <laughs> so <laughs> fooling, yeah. Fool. It's a fun it's word. So, what do you like about it?
2: Oh, I just love how it lands. Like it doesn't land with with any it doesn't doesn't shred someone, but it just really encapsulates a, a stupidity. And stupidity is my you favorite fool. form of humor. Fool. You fool. <laughs> right. I love
0: that. I love that. What about you, Isabel?
1: Um, my favorite word would be. Sorry, this is becoming not rapid fire. I really suck at these. Um, I'm overthinking it. I like the word click.
0: There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Satisfying. I have no like what it is yeah yeah totally 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 all right what is your least favorite word
1: groggy
0: oh sounds like it sounds like it is what does it sounds like it is like click and groggy they both sound uh, exactly as they feel Oh,
2: sliver because uh, slither. no sorry sliver because I always think it's sliver but it, with a V. I don't like the word sliver with a V because I don't think it should exist in the language because I've never used okay. it in context.
1: That's okay. a really good point. And you've inspired me to say mine's actually bowl because I can't say bowl and bowl. Like B-O- I can't do that. Yeah. Yeah, I can't get the difference.
0: I used to say, notoriously, like, I'm going to go take the ferry across the water. And then everyone would be like, yeah, Like, cherry you fool <laughs> all right what turns you on creatively spiritually or emotionally
2: uh my own space like i don't want anyone around yeah or are these individual questions oh, yeah i think that's like, all encompassing yeah like yeah. i just need no influence other than my brain because it's a wild ride in there so <laughs> yeah and it, it needs a it needs somewhere to run
0: Without, without
2: anyone interrupting.
0: <laughs> totally. I feel that. I feel that immensely.
1: <laughs> I would say um, the perfect, like, soundtrack for your mood. Like, if I'm in a relaxed state, I love relaxed, like, the, the music that I need in that space. But if I'm excited or I want to be excited, put an exciting tune on and then I'll, I'll be there.
0: That's where Spotify mm-hmm. is just magic and my absolute oh. favourite app of all time because even if you just type into search, like, randomly i don't know if you do this already but like feeling something really like niche like uh crazy wednesday morning if you type that in i almost guarantee you there's a playlist that someone has created called crazy wednesday morning and it will perfectly match what you're feeling God yeah. God it's done. insane i love it what turns you what
2: in authenticity like if someone's being dishonest or just like dishonest stuff i have no patience for and and progressively. So I'm working on it. You know, there's, there's certain areas that I could contain that frustration, but it's a big turnoff because then I just lose trust in the world. And then I don't want to do much because what's the point?
1: Everyone's lying. (laughs) (laughs) Major turnoff for me um, is when someone's like not humble, when they're like really proud or like arrogant. arrogant, proud is pride's a funny word because there's such a fine line, but like, arrogance Mm.
0: what is your favorite curse word
1: oh probably fuck no i say shit more though i say (laughs) shit a lot all the time
2: i don't know what the rating is of this podcast but i'd have to just go with the c word because it's um completely like underused not underused actually sorry it's it's used infrequently so when it is used it's often perfectly expressive because you use it with with direction and <laughs> distinction
0: I have, um, so my best friend from high school we lived together for a period but like even during high school he that's like his just greeting so like he'd like see you in right. class be like hey car hey car but he says it like really lovingly and like affectionately yeah. And when we lived together, there was three of us, um, three of us lived together. And every morning we'd be greeted with that, like, good morning, cunts, hello cants, like, yeah. constant, constant. Um and it's it's almost like oh, it was love. it was sad when he wasn't like home in the morning and he wouldn't have that warm welcome in the morning. But it's funny because yeah. like you said, when used correctly though, it lands, it lands. Yeah.
2: It is. Um, yeah my sisters always threw it around when I was little which was naughty but um anyway there's now this like feminist connotation that I have to it and I don't know how I think about it anymore but it's probably my the most distinct in my vocabulary <laughs> That's
0: fair. That's fair. what sound or noise do you love
1: um I love the sound of I love walking through the city and it's raining and you can hear the rain on like the footpath and like on cars and stuff
2: um I quite love the sound of gravel underneath shoes um or cars or, or any anything just like yeah heavy like things crunchy. moving I love it
0: okay cool do you prefer like, like bigger or smaller pebbles <laughs>
2: uh, bigger cuz it echoes more there's more depth It smaller pebbles, but it's a shallow sound.
0: (laughs) I love it. it. The the small pebbles is just like when you have wonderful. What sound or noise do you hate?
2: Um, specific, but I hate the sound of
1: my dog chewing his paws.
2: It's Um, so
0: gross.
1: I hate the sound. Um and Nick, my boyfriend, knows this. He like goes like this a lot. I hate (laughs) that. He has like a, like I think he has a deviated septum or something. <laughs> it sucks.
2: <laughs> or like someone like blem up. Yeah, yes.
0: Hocking it up. Wanna hock a
1: loogie? a Human thing. You have to do it sometimes, but like I do it in my own space. <laughs>
0: i love it so much what profession other than your own would you like to attempt
2: i'm acting for sure but i do a little bit of it i'm actually going to be an extra in a thing tonight and i was on monday as well
0: look out here we go on on set tonight i love it fantastic
1: if it wasn't like the um the like meds women's health taboo combo <laughs> um it would be uh yeah if if, uh, yeah, if if there was no reason not to, I'd do musical theatre, I reckon.
0: What profession would you not like to attempt?
1: Like probably what your dad does, the, the labour. I couldn't. I'm like, I just, I'm not cut out for it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> fair. That's fair.
2: Mine would be more like coding. I, I don't know if I could see, oh, yeah. see a lot of purpose in that personally because I think I would just really struggle
1: Mm. yeah or like being like a detective like I would I love love the idea of it but I would just I would fall in the wrong like I was watching Sherlock Holmes last night and he's so good at getting into small spaces when he needs to and somehow the bullets always miss they would not miss me I would like accidentally trip (laughs) detective sorry I mean the agent kind of vibe I I would get myself in.
0: But you like the the idea of it. You just think that, like, the practicality of it is not a choice. I love
1: the idea I would die instantly.
0: (laughs) Well, which leads me to my next and final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates?
1: Thanks for the show. (laughs) 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 Something that's not, like, something that's, like, um, that was unexpected or
0: I would (laughs) want... Oh my God, that's the best. <laughs> that's good. That's very good.
1: um I'm going to say,
2: don't worry, there's dogs here. Because oh, I yeah. really want to see all of the dogs that True. I will ever have True. raised and watch
1: past. True, I'm so I- good at these questions. <laughs> is this is a skill you have to rapid fire questions. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: Hardly been rapid fire, let's be honest, but it's good. I think I stop <laughs> by always saying to people rapid fire, and then as soon as I say it, people like they can't. I'm still laughing at that. That was unexpected. I think that's a funny, there's a lot of comedy there. um That's a different show that we need to run. That's good. Girls, I have again, like this has been so wonderful. Thank you both for your time this morning, your candor. Uh, sharing your experiences. I can't wait to speak with you again and see what happens next. If you haven't already jumped online and you want to visit Taboo Period Products, do so. tabooau.co is the website. And you can also follow them on socials. They're on Instagram at Taboo Period Products. Isabel Marshall, Eloise Hole. Yeah, wonders. Thank you for being on The Alchemy of Success.
1: Thank, Thank you Yay. so much, Penny. We loved
0: it. That was great fun. <laughs> Thank All you so right, much. I'll speak to you
1: soon. Bye.
0: Bye. Bye.